Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Tamara Thomas, editor-in-chief of UrbanHealthToday.com, part of the DocWire family of medical news sites, and I want to thank you for tuning in to Urban Health Weekly. Our goal each week is to keep you informed of the latest in health and medical news right from today's headlines. It's time to empower yourself with open conversations about your medical care with news that matters to you. So are you ready? Let's get started. I'm Tamara Thomas, Editor-in-Chief of Urban Health Today, and I'm speaking with Natalie Ferguson, Assistant Director of Nursing at SUNY Downstate Medical Center. She's here to talk about the importance of culturally congruent care and patient outcomes. Thanks for speaking with me today, Natalie. Thank you so much for having me, Tamara. I really do appreciate it. It's a pleasure to have you. All right, so let's get started. Please talk about your background and your work for SUNY Downstate Medical Center. So a little bit about my background. I've always, you know, it's always been one of, uh, you know, of service. Um, I came to this country about over 30 something years ago, and I've always worked as a babysitter, housekeeper. Um, So I've always been in service to others. So it was a natural progression for me to um, to go to college, get my nursing degree, and uh, I started um, working as a, at Downstate um, as a uh, as a nursing assistant and working my way up to now uh, presently as a ADN in the cancer center and community outreach. And what I do there is I'm sort of at a liaison for the cancer patients in regards to medical as well as nursing services, financial resources, and really working with the physicians just to ensure continued continuity of care in their, uh, in their treatment. And one good thing about this ADN position is that I'm also able to provide not only that sort of nursing uh, support, but also um, immersion, uh, emotional as well as any supportive care um, that uh, they may need. Wow. So what exactly is culturally congruent care and how important is it to patient outcomes? Well, I'm so glad to be discussing this topic because it actually is a new um, ANA, which stands for the American Nursing Association. It's the standard uh, number eight. It's a new sort of standard um, of uh, of care that we're implementing. So I'm really, really happy um, about that, that we're talking about this. So culturally congruent um, care is, it's sort of, it's really based on evidence-based nursing, which is very important to me because as an advanced practice nurse, I really am very, very passionate about anything that deals with evidence-based, uh, because as you know, evidence-based nursing is the backbone from Florence Nightingale and what we do. 
So evidence-based um, uh, practice, evidence-based care, congruent care, is sort of where there is agreement, an agreement with the preferred cultural values and beliefs and, and practices of the consumer. Um, whereas nurses, we are able to demonstrate uh, working the, the understanding of the patient from their own cultural perspective. It's very important that for patient, for the patient outcomes, um, and the fact that you have to be able to build a really good provider-patient relationship. If you don't have a good provider-patient relationship, there's no way that you can get any sort of positive outcome from that patient. And the one way that you have to get that sort of relationship is understanding the culture of the patient, their history, where do they come from? Brooklyn is a melting pot of, of different cultures, uh, Caribbean, uh, Jewish, um, American, Ukrainian, Russian, all different types of cultures. And how do we melt that and bring that together in order to understand where the patient is coming from? And that is where culturally congruent care comes in, looking at the patient, understanding how their culture affects how they look at their treatment and working on that in order to build the best care possible and treatment for that patient. Can you talk about the health impact of not having access to culturally congruent care? What have you seen happen to patients without it? So most of the patients, if, you know, they don't, if they feel a disconnect with the doctor because they feel that the doctor is really not understanding where they're coming from, you're going to really get patient dissatisfaction. And patient dissatisfaction is really very hard to, to get the patient to work with you because if they're not, if they're not satisfied with their treatment, they're just not, they're not gonna come back. And that causes a higher risk for having negative, we call it negative health consequences and also receiving poor patient care. Negative health consequences is the fact that a lot of, in, in Brooklyn at SUNY Downstate, for, um, for example, we have a high population of Caribbean, Caribbean American patients, for example. Mm -hmm. And in the African American community, we have a high incidence of high blood pressure, of diabetes and of sickle cell, of obesity, and all of these um, really are higher in the African-American population and Caribbean population than any other population out there. And if we don't get these patients in to the hospital for the proper treatment, then it, it just, you know, it's going to shorten their, 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 their lifestyle. It's going to shorten their lifespan. It's going to, um, you know, it's going to it's going to disrupt families and and relationships and and cost and cost not only the patient but the community as whole in, uh, uh, and and whole in the long run, um, you know, a, a, a lot 
both financial and emotional. Then also um, you have receiving poor quality of care as well, because um, a lot of, 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 of minorities have sadly lower, what we call lower levels of health literacy. That means that their ability to, to understand and um, you know, uh, follow instructions for, um, for treatment sometimes can be limited because sometimes they don't, English is not their first language. Uh, Haitian, the Haitian community, for example, they do a lot of nodding. And you think that that nodding means that they understand, but the nodding for it in the Asian uh, community is just a sort of as a sign of, of, of respect. So that's where understanding the differences in the culture of the different races that you are dealing with comes into play because then you can treat the patient with respect and you can get them to come into the doctor's office to get the treatment that, you know, that they deserve. I'm curious. So when you have this disconnect, I'm assuming you would get things like lack of compliance, right? Yes. And then you talked about, which was very interesting, like the Haitians just nodding and it doesn't equate to understanding. It's just um, respect. How do you get patients like that back on track? Well, the first thing that you have to do um, is really, you, you really have to understand, and this is where cultural congruent care comes in. You have to understand the culture of the patient. You have to understand, you know, and where what their culture entails about medicine, where in the line does medicine come in and work hand in hand. We call it, um, you know, provider patient centered care, where, you know, providers are no longer, um, how should I put it for want of a better word, just issuing directions, okay, you're going to do this and do that, and this is the step, but really working with the patients in order to get them to be an active participant in their care. That's the only way we're going to get, um, to get these patients back. Um, understanding their culture, um, realizing, uh, for example, some uh, women in the Muslim um, communities, that their head wrap is very important for them. Having a female provider is very important um, for them. Having their husband there during the examination is important. So really being mindful and respectful of their of their, their cultural beliefs, not negating it as something that is superficial and not important, but really understanding and looking at our own biases as providers and realizing, do I have some biases towards that? And really working on ourselves as um, doctors and nurses and nurse practitioners to see where do we fall short? How do we need, what do we need to do to, uh, you know, to, to work with this patient? What does this patient need from us? How do I, how, how do I bridge that gap? And sometimes it's just a matter of really speaking with the patient and asking them, um, how do you feel about this? 
tell me, what are your concerns? Um, how, how are you looking at this? And then once you're able to assess where their level of, of understanding is in their disease process, then you can incorporate um, their, their culture and their different beliefs and sort of mesh it together in order to, to get a treatment plan that works and that you can have the patient come back into your facility and, and hopefully have a positive uh, result. So what sorts of ways do you engage patients that's different from how providers of a different culture engage patients? Um, well, usually I do a cultural assessment. Um, I sit down with the patient and I assess their cultural values. Nursing, we all, nurses, um, we always assess our patients as well as doctors, always assess, assess, assess. I remember that in nursing school and it's a, it stuck with me. So you do something what's called a, a cultural um, assessment where you find out from the patient, what are their preferences? What are their choices? How do they make decisions? Um, sometimes how do they view their disease? How do they think, what do they, you know, think about um, uh, what is happening? And the reason why, sometimes you would be surprised, they would think that it is, uh, you know, it's, it's a punishment of, of sort. Um, so you have to find out exactly, and this is called a cultural assessment, and it's actually one of the ANA um, uh, goals, because I'm also big on research. Uh, it's one of the uh, ANA guidelines that we have to, uh, to follow. I also do a lot of um, uh, personal, professional um, uh, uh, development where I do a lot of research and I, I practice that, I pass along that research onto the patient into their different uh, disease process. So um, for example, sometimes where the cultural assessment uh, is concerned, you have to know, okay, where, how, what challenges, what challenges are the patient um, what challenges are the patients experiencing uh, in order that is deterring them from getting treatment or following up on treatment? You have to um, also, what I do is something called um, culturally congruent communication, where you have to speak in an effective and respectful manner. And it also involves listening to the patients, listening to their concerns, asking them again, how, well, what, what do you feel? How do you think? Um, sometimes a lot of, uh, of, of providers may not really go into that because, you know, we know what the patient needs to do in order to get better. But if the patient isn't at that level yet, then they're not going to follow through on their treatment. So mm -hmm. we have to really mesh it together. And communication is so important, using our, our tools to, to find out and engage the patients in, in, um, in, in, in their care. 
also, I utilize a lot of translations and interpreters. Um, sometimes there is a language uh, barrier and they would answer yes, yes, because English is not their first language. So they're saying yes, and you're thinking they're understanding, but sometimes yes is the only word that they know in English, really. So you have to, and you get that through your cultural um, assessment. Sometimes patients have hearing impairments. Mm -hmm. um, so you have to also, you know, navigate uh, the, the sign language that we have here um, as well. Sometimes they also have, you have like cultural appropriateness um, and that would entail some of where the, the females, um, for the Muslim females, uh, you have to be very mindful because they don't like to take their clothes off. And sometimes if you have to do an examination, especially if you have to examine their breast and, you know, different areas, mm -hmm. you, you have to be very mindful of, 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 of touching and letting them know, you know, okay, this is what, this is the reason I have to do this. And this is the reason why, um, you know, and explain it, explain it to them. Um, in their language, a lot, there's been a lot of research uh, that has stated that um, providers, the language that we use, the terminologies that we use for each other, if we tend to use that on the patients, um, the patients really don't like that. They feel very uncomfortable and it, it gives them, a, it gives the patient a leaves with a bad impression of the physicians, a sort of a disconnect because we're speaking in um, in medical jargon, as as they put it, and they don't understand that. So if you do your your cultural um, assessment, then you can also do your educational assessment and find out where is that patient academically. Um, a point of transparency: I have a son who is autistic with um, mild intellectual delay, and so therefore. When he goes to um, his doctor, I really love how his doctor communicates with him, simplifies everything. Um, he would ask me as his mother, what works for your son? I thought that, I think that is very, very important. I told him my son, um, uh, for example, I'm just giving an example, um, is, you know, he he is a very visual learner and you have to speak with him at a fifth floor, a fifth grade level, uh, educational level. Um, and he did that. And my son was very happy. He understood everything. He was able to give the appropriate responses. And he came um, and my son became a part of, 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 the, of the care um, at the level that he was at. And it made me as the parent also feel a sense of warmth and gratitude. And okay, I will deal with this physician again because of um, the way and the interaction that he interacted with, uh, with my son, which is what we should all do with all, of our, uh, with all of our patients, assessing, asking the patient what works for you and incorporating that and meshing it together. You know, I, I want to dig into this and I wanted to, to, I wanted to talk about the health literacy. So you, you mentioned that you find with um, some patients low levels of health literacy. So where in 
these models that you put forth, which are which are wonderful um, models, by the way. How do you how do you figure out that a person has low health literacy, and then how do you combat that? So yeah, so the health literacy, um, uh, like I said, it's 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 the individual's capacity to understand and comprehend uh, basic health information in, in order to make appropriate health decisions. And in order to have a high level of health literacy, they need to be able to understand what the disease is, what the process what the disease process is, how it affects them, and the treatment modalities that is needed, and how that is um, is 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 worked is through cultural cultural assessment, effective communication skills, and working with your the provider working with the patient in order to educate them as much as to their level of capability, which also involves um, a sort of a, a educational assessment to see where your, your patient um, is at um, intellectually, how much information they can process, what you need to say um, in order for them to understand. And it's not being disrespectful. It is just being mindful of, okay, where your patient is at and what information do they need? For example, if I go to the doctor, I need, I, I really don't need as much information about the disease process as say my mother would, for example, right. uh, because she's not... Um, you know, a doctoral trained nurse practitioner. So she would need a little bit more information versus someone whose lang um, language is, first language is not English, may need a little bit more. Someone who is not college educated may need a little bit more than someone who is college educated and also depending on the college education that they have. So there's a lot of factors that come into, um, you know. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
working out on the health literacy um, of a patient. And cultural, cultural assessment now is, um, is definitely coming into, into play because um, you have to know how to um, uh, communicate how, what type of, um, you know, uh, cultural differences and degrees that the patient, um, that the patient needs in order for you to explain um, and to increase their health literacy about their disease. So then when they come to the clinic, they can become an active participant in their care. Slightly unrelated mini story, if you'll indulge me for a second. So I had a, a, a doctor's appointment mm, about six weeks ago. And um, the, the medical assistant, she set out all the forms and everything. And I asked her if I could read the forms because I like to take in my information visually and then uh -huh. process it because I'm not really good um, in a stress situation with people speaking to me and asking me to agree, uh -huh. not agree, et cetera. So I asked if I could read the forms and she says, well, no, you, you have to wait for the doctor to come in. I said, no, I don't wanna wait for the doctor to come in. I wanna read them now so that when he asks me if I understand, I actually understand. <laughs> I don't, you know. Exactly. And she, and she became a little huffy with me because it wasn't her process. She's used to everyone just kind of saying, okay, we'll do it your way. But, you know, I know how I need to take in information. So, you know, like you, you have to be flexible in terms of like how you relate to people and people's different needs. So that was, that was my little um, story. I'm really glad that you mentioned that because, um, you know, a lot of, of, of patients in that instance, the doctors, you know, they get the forms and they just, um, and they just sign it. And I have had instances where, you know, uh, patients with consent, for, for a procedure even, and then you know, the doctor, and I'm looking at the patient and I can tell that this patient is not understanding, but they don't say They're anything. They're afraid to say anything. They, they don't say anything. And that's where really being mindful of this patient's culture and, and the signs and the looks of what the patient is giving you um, really comes into play because even though you may get the signature and you know you, you do the procedure and it really worked well for the patient because that's what the patient uh, needed, um, you know you've, you've missed out on a great opportunity to really um, you know that that's not manifesting good provider patient relationship yeah. um, where the patient is an active participant in their care because the research shows that once you get that patient being an active participant, then you know you, the battle is is halfway won in terms that the patients will follow their medication um, treatment, they will keep coming back for their appointments, they'll keep you updated on any changes, um, and it just works out well. So, you know, it, it was a really good thing that you spoke up and you said, no, this is what I would like to do. And, and um, you know, it is quite within your right to, um, to do that and be prepared to ask any questions of your doctor based on what you were reading for further clarification.
Well, thank you. You know, um, speaking of opportunities, I was talking to Annabelle Thompson Castro um, some weeks ago, and she talked about um, patients bringing friends or family with them to their visits. Um, and she was saying that that's an opportunity that some providers miss out on because, you know, some people sort of caucus with their friends and family to make medical decisions. What do you think about that? Oh, I think it's a fantastic, I think it's a fantastic idea. Um, a lot, some, you know, you, you have some providers, you know, every, every provider, you know, likes and works differently. I think some providers, um, you know, they don't, they don't like asking too much um, um, questions. I love it. I love it. I used to, um, when I was a staff nurse, I would, you know, I make a joke of it. The families would come in because I know they're concerned. The mm -hmm. patient is in the heat of the moment and everything, and you're hearing all of this and, and a lot of doctors and medical personnel, it can be very, very overwhelming. And, um, you know, once, once it's all gone, then I, you know, culture again, I sat, a, I would see the patient just, just looking very confused that the, the daughter would come in or the husband and they would be like, well, ma, what, what happened? What did the doctor say? Oh, I, I don't know. I, right. I can't remember what they, what they said. I'm not sure. I, I, I don't know. Well, what are you, when you're supposed to, I, I don't know. I can't remember. And, um, you know, it, uh, so, so then the, 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 the families get a little bit nervous because then they want to know what's going on because mom can't um, explain it. So I, I think once the family is there, I think it would give them an opportunity to ask any questions of the doctor that they want to. And I, I think I always would give my patients ample opportunity to ask me any question. Um, you know, any, any question at all, how do you, what would you like to know? Um, and give them time to think about it, the brother, the mother, because, you know, the family unit is the one that's going to help this patient when they leave the, the um, you know, the hospital, if it's right. after surgery, or if it's a doctor's visit, especially if you have an elderly uh, patient, or right. if you have a patient like my son, who is autistic, um, you know, the family has to be the one that has to really uh, follow through. So they should be a part of the discussion. And most uh, cultures warrant it. Um, a lot of, you know, the granddaughter will would come in and be be talking for the grandmother. Um, in the Muslim culture, the husband um, is there. So, you know, it's good to have the family involved. The only thing I would say where um, I would have a problem um, and the family cannot be involved, obviously, if you suspect any like uh, domestic violence or domestic abuse, then you have to get, you know, the patient by themselves where you can ask them, well, what is going on, you know, if it's a safe environment, that sort of thing. But that's a whole completely, you know, different um, area. You know, medicine is not concrete. Uh, right. There's always, you know, there's always uh, variations. 
to the rule. Um, so if you feel there's any sort of domestic, you know, any type of abuse, elder abuse or whatever, of course the family, you wanna get the patient away if you think the abuser is the one that's, you know, there. Um, so of course that's a whole different, different, uh, different scenario, I'm sure for a different conversation. But, um, but, you know, in just in, in regular terms with a caring family, um, I totally agree that the family should, should be there. And a lot of clinics and recovery rooms after surgery, they do allow in the recovery room, the family to be there because, you know, they know the patient is not at that time able because of, you know, medication or the drugs or just the fact of being hyper and getting news. If you're getting a cancer, uh, you know, news that you may have cancer or something, you right, need exactly. someone, you need someone there because that per that patient now has moved to an emotional state and they're right. not thinking logical for, for, for really good reason. Um, so, you know, the person that's there with them then has to get all of that question that once that patient goes home and the emotion is gone and she's starting to think a little bit logically about what the next steps are, at least that, that family member is there to sort of fill in the blanks of what she didn't get in her in her state of heightened stress at that time. Can you talk about patient outcomes as a result of culturally congruent care and what recommendations would you make to medical centers if you could to improve access to such care for diverse patient populations? So the effect of really having a cultural uh, care is the fact that you increase the, the major, major outcome, which I think encompasses everything, is the fact that you increase the patient-provider interaction. That increases the communication. That increases the patient-centered care. So you encourage the patient to be compliant with their treatment. You encourage the patient to really be an active participant. And that's going to increase their health outcome because once the patient is compliant, especially like certain diseases that you have, say like high blood pressure or diabetes, where you really need this patient to really be compliant because for example, diabetics, you have to check your sugar, you know, like every morning, you, you have to, you know, watch your diet and exercise or your, your dialysis patients, you know, they have to, you know, they have to monitor their food intake. They have to come in in order for their dialysis, you know, every, every three days. So once you are aware and you, you become a, a active participant with this patient, and they really like you and want to work with you. Oh, I love my doctor, best doctor ever. The, the doctor understands, is compassionate, understands me, really talks to me and listens to what I have to say, really would ask me, how am I feeling today? Do I have any questions or any concerns? And I say, well, doctor, can you talk to my daughter? Because I really don't understand. And they talk to the daughter and the daughter understands. Of course, you have, first, you have a patient for life because some of these diseases are for, for life unfortunately 
diabetes, high blood pressure, sickle cell, which is which is a, a mainly a disease in the African-American community. And a lot of these diseases are really high in the African-American community. And we have the lowest health, um, you know, illiteracy rate and the more disparities, health, social, educational disparities. These are all facts. This is not something that, you know, I'm just making up. These are documented research facts. So in order to really, you know, start to get the patients to, um, to increase their health outcomes, um, we need to be um, an active participant with them to, um, to want, so that the patient will want to come into the hospital and be treated. Because realistically speaking, sometimes these patients have, you know, have to be in the, in the hospital, especially if they're getting chemo treatments for cancer or um, you know, have to take certain high blood pressure and check their blood pressure medication. We, we need to rely on them to give us the information that we need in order to make good medical decisions for their care. Patients should be aware of that. They should be aware that, you know, we're not standing on a pedestal here, um, you know, uh, giving you information and, and listen and listen to me because I am the doctor. No, it's about working together, give, telling me your concerns, finding the information out if I don't, and um, in order for the outcome, which will be a happier life. To the second part of your questions, um, what I would do, do um, for, I think, the medical centers to improve access of care for these diverse patient populations. First of all, uh, I would definitely encourage uh, a lot of um, training, promoting access to care, uh, getting uh, the teaching the providers the nurses, the younger generation about respecting the uh, respect of the patient. There's, there are a lot of um, courses now and classes, and I believe SUNY Downstate also offers that as well, where, um, you know, they, they, we have to upgrade our our academic uh, qualifications by taking certain classes. That's how we keep up to date that's going on. Um, like when you go to certain, um, certain venues and certain committees where you, you learn different, you know, the new, the latest development. Um, so I would definitely uh, um, get the, the new nurses to, um, to get a training in um, cultural, you know, in cultural um, competencies. Also, you know, we need to hire a lot of translators and interpreters. Um, something, sometimes something as simple as hiring uh, a sign, someone, a sign language interpreter, someone that uh, is able to communicate in sign language. Sometimes it's something as simple as having um, the literature that explains the disease process in French Creole, for Haitian speaking um, patients, Spanish and Chinese, um, having it available, having signs up in different languages. Um, I would uh, also um, have 
you know, have that as well. Uh, for, for me, doing a lot of research to um, evaluate and to assess and to monitor how these new guidelines from the ANA that we have now um, implementing them and if they're and if they're working and also encouraging the um, you know the healthcare providers and the nurses and if in effective communication skills I'm really big on that um, just knowing how to to talk to people to communicate with people on their level in a kind and compassionate way and in a caring tone um, and your body language also you know people pick up on your body language if you sit down with your arms folded you know and you're looking down you know your patient is not going to be very very receptive um, so you know being also mindful and looking inward at yourself what biases do I have it's some everything starts sometimes with self-evaluation, self-assessment. Well, what do I need? What do I need to be better at? Every day, um, as a nurse, you know, at the end of the day, you go over. Well, what did I? What could I have learned from this experience and interaction with my oh, that's patient? Wonderful. Yes, absolutely. I do that all the time. What could have I done better? Um, what What did I do good? What 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 needed a little bit more work? Um, did I did I come off? Did I give off a good bite? Did they really understand and get? Um, and then once you do that self assessment and self evaluation, then you can know what it is that you need, and you know let your let your administrator know, let the hospital know, advocate for for that. Say you know I I really think we can do better in this area. Um, I have some suggestions. What do you think? You know, do your part to um, to encourage and, and improve and, and make accessibility to information for the patient something that they would want in, in the future. So the classes you're talking, you're referring to CE, right? Continuing education. Yes, yes. As nurses, we have to do um, uh as nurse practitioners, you have to do CMEs. As nurses, um, I think it is very, very important that you find courses and classes that you can go to that, um, that gives you more information on the area of nursing that you are in and also the different cult, um, cultural, sensi um, cultural sensitivity uh, uh, classes. You know, medicine is not, you know, it, it's not, it's ever evolved. It's not something that just stops. It's not one of those careers where, okay, you know, I'll never, okay, I got my nursing degree. I got my doctorate degree. That's it. I'm done. It's ever evolving. You know, blood pressure changes from, you know, the, the latest guidelines change the blood pressure from one grade to another. You know, you have to know these things because then if you're, if you're not up to date on your nursing education, you're not giving the patient the best care. You're not. And it's the same way with being culturally um, culturally congruent care. It's the exact same same thing. Well, okay, I have a high population of um, of, uh, of Muslims. 
So let me find out what is it about their culture? What do I need to know? How, you know, how do I say address them when they come in? What sort of body language should I be looking for? Um, you know, the, the blind patients, uh, that's also, you know, you need to know how to, how do you, how do you uh, address and deal with the, the blind patient or the hearing impaired um, you know, patient by being, and also not seeming condescending or because they are very independent patients. Um, and they, you have to know, well, what, up to what level and what ability do they need, do they not need your help with in maneuvering or making decisions? And all of these, we have to learn, you know, no one knows all of this information. And that's where, you know, getting information, going to courses and classes and keeping your own professional development as a medical professional um, comes into play. Dr. Natalie Ferguson. Thank you so much for this conversation, truly. This is such an overdue topic that I think is not getting enough attention in the medical circles. I mean, obviously it's getting attention in the nursing circles, but I think this needs to also branch out into the physician and specialist circles. Um, I hope you'll come back and share more about SUNY's work in providing culturally competent care. Uh, well, thank you, you know, so much. I really appreciate this opportunity. I thank you so much for having me. This was, um, this was wonderful. And, um, and absolutely, I would love to come back again. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Urban Health Weekly today. I hope you'll join me and my friends next week so you can stay informed and inspired to take control of your health. See you next time.